Radio Krikon. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of Get Your Creek On, a podcast about Jonathan Creek. Today we arrive at the Coonskin Cap in which a woman murdering lunatic is on the loose and somehow manages to spirit themselves out of a locked gym hall having strangled a police officer just seconds beforehand. How in the name of buggery that can be possible is just one of the many questions that Jonathan and Carla need to answer on this occasion. Now, I'm not sure whether I've mentioned this previously, but watching the episode will be of benefit when listening to this corresponding edition of the podcast. It really will. Uh, Despite my work standing well and truly on its own two feet as something of a masterpiece, understanding all the context will probably help you to enjoy it even more if that is indeed possible. The Coonskin Cap aired on March the 1st, 2003. Now, Melbourne is known as one of the best cities in the world in which to live, and here's the voice of one of its male inhabitants to introduce the episode synopsis. Episode Synopsis A TV report about a nurse who leaves the hospital after her shift to drive home. While driving, she's followed by another car that flashes her aggressively and forces her to career off the road and into some woods. It turns out she's been dragging along the dead body of a woman who's been strangled. We cut back to the TV studio where executive Brendan Baxter is overseeing an edit of this Crime Watch-style show, Eyes and Ears, presented by one Carla Borrego. She's reporting on the death, which is the second strangling of a woman recently, incidents which have involved witnesses seeing a man in a Davy Crockett-style hat hanging around the area. Brendan discusses various aspects of the filming and how well Carla's doing in this new role of hers. She interviews investigating Detective Inspector Ted Parnovic, who, to everyone's surprise, immediately starts advocating for the return of the death penalty for criminals. Elsewhere, Jonathan's in a restaurant trying to track down Adam. He does so, and our magician is dining with a gluttonous woman, with whom he clearly does not wish to be seen. This is Velda, who won second prize in a charity raffle, a night on the town with Adam, the top prize being a tumble dryer. Adam and Jonathan discuss which famous painting to use as a backdrop for the stage set, and Velda requests that Adam takes her to Stringfellows when they've finished whining and dining. The Eyes and Ears crew move to another location to film a recreation of a different crime, in which a police sergeant, Heather Davey, is playing the part of one of the murdered women by retracing her final known steps. However, as this is taking place, everyone's shocked to hear gunshots ringing out. Parnovic takes control of the situation and spots a rifle at a nearby window. He comforts Sergeant Davey and the pair share in an intimate moment. The rifle's located in a locked room that nobody could possibly have left other than by shimmying down the outside drainpipe, which would have definitely led to them being seen. Jonathan takes a call requesting that he heads to the TV studios. Adam arrives at the theatre looking dishevelled and recounts the rest of his evening with Velda yesterday, which culminated in her choking to death on her own vomit in an alleyway which, without wanting to sound horrible, sounds like a fairly apt way for her to have gone. 
Jonathan heads to the studios where Carla spots him and makes great efforts to not run into him. Sadly for her, he's been brought there by Brendan, specifically to act as a consultant on Eyes and Ears. It's explained how Carla has transitioned into TV presenting, and then we get some subtext about how she and Jonathan didn't end up getting together after their last adventure in Satan's Chimney. She still seems really angry about it all, and there's clearly a lot of underlying chagrin on her part, and confusion on Jonathan's, as will be confirmed later. Brendan explains how Jonathan is hopefully going to not only help solve the mysteries of the woman's murders, but also, more importantly, help increase ratings on eyes and ears. They discuss the details of the rifle in the locked room, and as Brendan goes to take a phone call, we learn that he and Carla are in fact married. In bed that night, she mentions to him that she and Jonathan previously went out a few times, but that it all fell apart when he made an offensive comment to her father. Brendan doesn't seem bothered and was actually not listening to any of that at all, evidently being the type of guy who takes his work home with him. <laughs> Which is something I used to be guilty of too, back in the days when I ran a strip bar. <laughs> Carla and Jonathan head to the scene of the reconstruction filming slash rifle shooting and look around. He doesn't even want to inspect the room the rifle was found in and instead goes into the building whose windows were penetrated by two of the bullets. He reveals that the whole thing was rigged up to look like the bullets were fired at the time, but in fact, it all took place beforehand with a timer and charges set off by remote control. At the police station, Carla and Jonathan wait in Parnovic's office for him. She takes the opportunity to poke around and ends up falling victim to his massive airbag-style security gadget built into his desk. At Adam's show that evening, the proceedings are interrupted by a streaker who takes to the stage and causes a rumpus. Back at the police station, Parnovic takes an urgent anonymous call about a man being spotted behind the PE block of nearby Holding College of Education a man wearing a Davy Crockett hat. A unit gets into bulletproof gear in the changing room, including Sergeant Heather Davy. Admitting it's not the time nor the place, which is certainly an understatement, Parnovic hands her a small box that looks like it may contain a ring. At the college, the unit surrounds the building. Parnovic tells Heather to go and check the gymnasium. She goes in alone and while looking around is shocked when the lights plunge off and the door is locked from outside. Panicking, she gets on the radio and explains what's happening to Parnovic and to others who listen on helplessly as she appears to be strangled, spluttering, You bastard! You'll never get away! Once they get a key and get inside the gym, Sergeant Davy is dead on the floor. With there being no possible way, the culprit could have escaped. The next day, Jonathan and Carla talk to Parnovic at the scene. He recounts what happens and emphasises the impossibility of it all. He then tells them about how he and Heather were indeed more than mere friends. Jonathan listens back to a recording of her radio message and remarks that there's something that sounds like a buzzing bumblebee on it. It's then revealed that blood has been found on the bulletproof vest Heather was wearing, but it isn't her blood. Carla makes a connection between the three murder victims to date, realising that they all have a first name that are plants or flowers or floral stuff. Carla reports this finding on eyes and ears later, and we see a young woman watching the report in some distress, 
which may feasibly have been at least partly due to the fact that her flat was a completely dingy shithole. The next day at the theatre, Jonathan is outraged to find that the streaker has been given a dressing room by Adam and recruited to invade the stage each night to create risky hype to the tricks being performed. Adam waves away Jonathan's protestations at this development and also demands that Jonathan joins him at Velda's funeral. At dinner later, Brendan tells Jonathan and Carla how great Jonathan's impact has been on eyes and ears. When ordering food, Brendan mentions his blood pressure, and this causes something to flicker through Jonathan's mind. In the dark street later, the woman who watched the most recent report accosts Carla and asks her to go to her flat alone to meet her because she has some vital information. She's so nervous that she drops her bag and all her stuff scatters across the pavement. Jonathan and Carla drive to the lady's flat later and, en route, discuss the background to their relationship. They recount the evening that he supposedly insulted her father, but we don't catch the end of this story before they arrive at the premises. Jonathan waits in the car as Carla heads up the stairs. He thinks back to earlier when the woman dropped her stuff on the pavement, recalls there was a hairband amongst it all, and puts two and two together. He races up to the flat where the woman, wearing the hairband which causes her shadow to look like she's wearing a Davy Crockett hat, is in the process of strangling Carla, who manages to wriggle free just as Jonathan arrives. Interviewed by the police, the woman isn't as forthcoming about the gymnasium death as she is the previous ones, to which she admits culpability. At the theatre, Jonathan encounters the streaker being a complete arsehole and treating a member of staff with disrespect, then grabs him by the bollocks and chucks him out into the street. Carla arrives and the pair of them, that's her and Jonathan, not her and the streaker, get to the bottom of their falling out all those years ago. And in doing so, Jonathan makes a massive realisation. At the gymnasium, Eyes and Ears set up for another recreation filming, but it turns into something very different. Carla and Jonathan reveal that Parnovic was Heather Davies' killer. He rigged up a bulletproof vest with a device similar to a blood pressure measuring strap thing that tightened and suffocated the wearer. He made sure Heather was wearing it and then activated it when she was alone in the gym, into which he had locked her and turned off the lights. The mark on her neck was from earlier when he presented her with a necklace, not a ring, and then pulled it tightly round her neck. When she was on the radio, she was in fact talking to him, calling him a bastard and trying to say, you'll not get away with this, not you'll never get away. Parnovic used the ongoing serial killings to mask this murder of his own. Heather had rejected him, and he knew that she was fooling around with someone else as well, and he wanted her to pay. At some point in the melee after her death, he swapped the customised bulletproof vest for his own, which had his blood specks on it, from shaving at some point. We end at Velda's funeral where, despite only having met her on the last day she had on this mortal coil, Adam for some reason is giving the eulogy. To everyone's shock, Gary the Streaker has taken it upon himself to jump up and jiggle it all about. Episode Analysis I don't know about you, but I really enjoyed this episode, and there were several reasons for that. 
the central mystery of Sergeant Davy being murdered in the gym was a great locked room head scratcher, and her lying there as the lights go on is surely one of the classic Creek images. The capital punishment advocating Parnovic was a superb character and the performance of actor Terence Hillier was tremendous. The way he connived to mask Davy's murder by making it look like the work of an already on the loose maniac was very clever and he seemed to have the perfect alibi given he was on the outside of the room at the time. Setting up the rifle kerfuffle in order to require everyone to wear bulletproof garments at the gym callout shows just how much effort he was willing to put into it all. Very occasionally you can be left a little bit cynical about information that leads to Jonathan solving a mystery, but in this episode it really was astute how the various stuff all came together to enlighten him. Brendan mentioning blood pressure and the ambiguous interpretation of the screen painting and how all that related to the radio message and the recollection of Carla's dad only hearing half of Jonathan's sentence and taking it to mean something else completely were all jigsaw pieces that finally came together in a truly believable way. Much like in the previous episode, a real highlight was Carla's bitterness and umbrage towards Jonathan. This really drew out her character and many of the best lines were drenched in paranoia about his thoughts or the dry cynical looks she felt he was giving her. This was really compounded by how nice a bloke her now husband is and how much he admires Jonathan's capabilities. I laughed a lot at Brendan, particularly when he said, we're dealing with a level of intuitive genius we cannot begin to understand. There were various other nice aspects to the episode as well. For example, when Carla was being strangled by the mad woman in the flat, it would have been easy for the story to be that Jonathan rushes in, stops it happening and is the saviour, but Carla managed to do it all by herself, showing that she is a capable and courageous lady. The B stories of Adam's unfortunate interactions with Velda and then also the streaker at the theatre were a lot of fun, I thought, and the way these tied up so well at the end was yet more testament to David Rennick's peerless writing skills. When you consider all that content as well as the main story, you really can't help but be impressed at just how much was jam-packed into the episode. One or two things did jump out as slightly silly or unbelievable. Why the senior-ranking Parnovic would have taken the phone call about the Davy Crockett character being spotted at the gym seems a bit unrealistic, and then the mark on Heather Davy's neck from the necklace being pulled tight didn't really ring true either. It would surely have faded away pretty quickly. Unlike this podcast, which just keeps on going from strength to strength. The celebration of Location Information Station. Just one site on this occasion, and it's the main murder location from the episode, the gymnasium in which Sergeant Heather Davy meets her maker. It's in fact the sports hall at the University of Westminster's Harrow campus, 594 square metres of quality sporting location, and you can hire it for a mere £55 per hour. Unfortunately, memberships at the attached gym suite are currently not available to non-students, and I can find literally no confirmation anywhere that this isn't due to the membership list being full because Jonathan Creek fans just flock there all the time. 
In addition to that, my understanding is that the cafeteria scene featuring Carla, Jonathan and Parnovic was also shot elsewhere on the same campus. The nearest mainline train station is Kenton, and the nearest underground station is Northwick Park on the Metropolitan Line. If you're accessing the sports hall from its side entrance, there are a total of nine steps down, unless you go via the accessible ramp, which is 60 centimetres wide. The external door is 94 centimetres wide, and since the time of filming there, there's been a fire door installed on the far wall next to the basketball net that we saw Jonathan inspecting. That should hopefully make you feel safer during your trip to visit the hall, which, don't lie, you're currently already planning. Creek Connections At 17 minutes 51 seconds, we see that one of the 12 glass panes is broken in the window at which the rifle is sitting. One in Twelve is the name of a song by composer Johan Johansson for the 2016 film Arrival's original motion picture soundtrack, which was nominated for Best Score at the 60th Grammy Awards. Sadly for everyone but him, James Corden hosted the 60th Grammy Awards, and he grew up in the Buckinghamshire village of Holmer Green. One of Holmer Green's most popular attractions is the Holmer Green Miniature Railway, run by the High Wycombe Model Engineering Club, which is affiliated with Holmer Green Sports Association. Holmer Green Sports Association's phone number is 01494 711485, and if you add each of these digits together, you get 44, the atomic number of ruthenium, a chemical element belonging to the platinum group of the periodic table first discovered in 1844 by scientist Karl Ernst Klaus. This work led to him receiving the Demidov Prize, a national scientific accolade in Russia, the very first of which was awarded in 1832 to Magnus Georg von Pauker. Von Pauker was born in Estonia, which is bordered to the south by Latvia, which is bordered to the south by Lithuania, which is bordered to the south by Poland, which is bordered to the south by the Czech Republic. The newly formed Czech Republic's first ever Prime Minister in 1993 was called Václav Klaus, the same surname as Jonathan Creek magician Adam Klaus. Oh, and oh shit, also Karl Ernst Klaus, the ruthenium guy, shit. I might need to, I might need to redo this because, um, well, you know what, fuck it, I'll do, I'll just, I'll edit this bit out. Another Creek Connection, next time. Relaxation time. Tranquil, dreamy serenity. If you're having trouble sleeping or relaxing, then maybe you can benefit from ASMR, which stands for um, Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. It's a pleasant feeling of tingling in the scalp and the upper body, triggered by slow-paced visual or audio stimuli, such as whispering, 
and quiet repetitive audio resonances, i.e. sounds. So sit back, loosen off, and immerse yourself in a dream landscape sequence encompassing wholesome subject matter from this week's Jonathan Creek episode. Mm. Sergeant Davy going into the gym alone should have raised eyebrows. Why wasn't she teamed up with at least one colleague? There must be protocols around that kind of thing. I dare say Parnovic would have been asked to justify giving this order considering it led to such a calamitous outcome. When Jonathan said, I've got a queasy feeling this could be part of something a lot more sinister, I thought, no shit man, loads of women are being murdered, that's the very definition of sinister. Looking at Brendan Baxter, I find myself wondering whether I could get away with wearing a cream-coloured suit like he does. Granted, I'm not a TV executive in the early 2000s, but there was something very smart about it. Perhaps I ought to think less about others' opinions of me and just follow my instincts. The only way blood could have got onto Barnavik's bulletproof vest is if he was shaving while wearing it. That's a bit weird, no? Why would he do that? Maybe, maybe it was part of some kind of elaborate sex game or something. The director of the episode, Christine Gernon or Jernan, also directed a few episodes of One Fit in the Grave. What a show that was. I don't believe you. She also worked on a show called The Kennedys, which I remember watching. God, that sucked. It was really shit. My first car was a Peugeot 106, just like the one the nurse was driving at the start, dragging the woman. Mine was red though, and to be clear, it was a 106 kid version with the fancy patterns on the seats. I don't want you thinking I'm boring. It seems like the whole bit with Jonathan accidentally calling Carla's dad a prick rather than a prickly gentleman because of hiccups could easily have been sorted out at the time with a fairly simple explanation. Several years of umbrage off the back of that just seems wild, but hey, this is Jonathan Creek, and anything goes. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Get Your Creek On. Here's hoping you've enjoyed at least some of it and aren't filled with an overwhelming sense of regret or disappointment. You can contact the show at any time you like and be pretty much guaranteed a response of some kind by emailing getyourcreekon at gmail.com, by Twitter at creekget, or by heading to the website, which is getyourcreekon.co.uk. The next episode on the slate is Angel Hair, starring Jack D. A woman is kidnapped and all her hair chopped off during the filming of a ransom video, and yet, just a couple of days later, it's all grown back. C'est impossible, non? That's us for today. Thanks again for tuning in, and I will look forward to doing it all again in the next instalment. Join me if you feel so inclined. It's completely and 100% free of charge and obligation. I'm Toby. Bye for now.
Thanks for listening to Get Your Creek On.